to Say That, the podcast where your questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Okay, okay. Also with us is the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Okay. That seems more like the right tone. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I am decent. What do you think about that, Matt? Well, somebody <laughs> has to be. Yes. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, hey, it was the show, but we we're going to talk about the thing. All right, declare an emergency. Here's the deal, folks. Um, <laughs> in a long, Wait, ongoing there's an emergency? of I try, I bring a horrifying thing from Christian culture past and uh, try to horrify my co-host with it. In this case, it is something that a friend of the show, uh, Amanda, shared with my wife because her husband had shared it with her because he grew up around the time. It's a it's a song from uh, the band you may know, DC Talk, from their 1992 mm. record, Free at Last. It's called I Don't Want It. Now, you think to ah. yourself, gentle listener who's not heard of this before, the it they're referring to can't be, and yeah, it is. It's a Christian <laughs> rap song from 1992 about how abstinence is cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I thought it was like uh, about like carbs. I don't, I don't want carbs. No, no, no. 1992, we thought carbs were great. It was the all carb diet, right? You know, not, so it's not like about fiber. High no, fiber no, 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 diet. No. In, in 92, I thought that's we were done know. with shoulder pads by 92. Right? Okay. <laughs> so I, I brought this and. Uh, you know what? Because why should we uh, suffer alone? You're picturing in your mind. You're thinking, "How bad can that be?" I'm probably going to drop a little bit of a little bit of it in here right now because it's bad. <laughs> well, this is this is because Matt has now learned that no matter what he does, as long as he doesn't play a Jeb Brewer song, he will not get sued. <laughs> That's right. Facebook don't care. Well known, uh, high, well known uh, works of art. <clears throat> Copyrighted music, things that the Walt Disney Corporation owns uh, since Full House and IBC, that's fine. But as long as it's not a song that Jed wrote in his basement and then recorded in his office, they're not going to copyright strike us. So that's all good. So here's a little bit of I Don't Want It. Did you enjoy that? Neither did we. Um, but here's the, here's the other thing about that is I brought this in the hopes of educating, sharing, horrifying my co-hosts. And uh, upon trying to do that, Jed wrapped two verses of it from memory. <laughs> yep. Wow. That's immediately. Just, it's hard to look Jed in the eye right now. <laughs> I mean, it's usually hard to look me in the eye, but. So I don't know that that's a change, but yes, yeah, it just it just it's not a good feeling over here. It's kind of like we we thought Jed was you know had a lot of coolness in him, and I was a preacher's kid in the nineties <laughs> in the South. That shows how far Jed has come. <laughs> well, the thing about it for me was there was no buffering; like he just right. immediately, immediately. dropped this flow. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I can explain part of that, right, which is 
Um, I, I, I am a musician. I do love music. And when I was a kid, I was obsessed with music. So I would listen to whatever I could get a hold of. And what was available due to being a preacher's kid in the South in the 90s was whatever was at the Christian bookstore. Right. So right. Um, I haven't That's just heard. This is why you have like a complete knowledge of Carmen as well. Right? We've learned that as well, too. You've got like yeah. the whole box set in your RAM right now. That's that's exactly right. You've got it exactly right. Well, here's the, I, you know, I don't even begin to pretend to be the expert that Jed is on this song. So maybe it would be good for him to break it down for us, the nature of this song about abstinence and the 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 thing the artist is trying to put forth is that he doesn't want it. Yes. <laughs> um that's correct. I remember my teenage years <laughs> and that's not a message I would have identified with at all. Well, critically, uh Glennard, uh there mm. is a phrase that comes right at the end of the hook that makes it all okay. I don't oh. want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. Your sex for now oh this is an interesting serious question is Mm. in 1992 if a christian band had simply been super duper honest about it what would have happened like what would a young (laughs) jed have have thought would he have felt heard and known and seen and understood if a Christian band had just written a song where they said, you know what, Lord, what you're asking of me is super hard because I actually really, like, really, really am interested in sex, and I want all of that right now, and and I'm trying to understand what you're asking of me. Like, what would have happened inside the, the just the Jed brain in the Christian bookstore had that been the case? An excellent question. To reference C.S. Lewis, we can never say what might have been. And in this case, <laughs> we can never say what might have been because the Christian bookstore, would, which was a thing then, would never have carried that recording ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. This was back in the days of literal charts on the wall. If you like X secular band, oh, here's no. ABC Christian yeah. band you should listen to instead. Oh, no. Things I'm not making up. Here's oh, our I version of Everclear. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I like the idea of an alternate universe in which Christian music is was good. This this alternate this Earth Two band, I'm gonna call them AC Talk, is just making very <laughs> well produced, excellent hip hop. Now we mentioned the lyrics there and Jed recited some of them. What I like is that they sat down to make their abstinence rap song in nineteen ninety two and they said, I don't want it. I don't want it, want it. And then somebody said, Are we being too huh. subtle? <laughs> Shouldn't we say, I don't want your sex for now? Which also makes me think this is a direct answer to the 1987 George Michael song, I Want Your Sex. <laughs> and the yeah. guys in DC Talk sat down and said, that gives me an idea. And it took them five years to write it. <laughs> also, as I, I have two more nuggets for you guys. As I scroll the lyrics, and there's a lot of them because they rap real fast. And this is a time when you could get a five-minute song on the radio, which mm. doesn't happen anymore. That was the 90s, baby. 
Yes. Well, speaking of the 90s, one of the verses starts off with maybe the most 90s thing I can imagine, which is a reference to 1-900 numbers. Oh, wow. yeah. 1-900-LOVE, <laughs> SEX is on the TV, is a line in this Grammy-nominated album. Well, I, I wonder, too, if if this is... I, I don't know the exact year but uh, of what I'm referencing, but I wonder if this was also a response to the salt and Peppa hit, Let's, Let's Talk, talk about, about Sex. Sex, Baby. Let's Talk About You and Me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad and things. And the bad things. But especially the bad things. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, here's here's the part that that I just got fascinated with as Jed was describing the chart of if you like this secular band, maybe try this Christian band, is what would have happened if you'd gone to the secular record store and they had a chart, if you like this Christian band, <laughs> you'd like this even worse secular band. <laughs> it's like some guys that worked on a cruise ship that recorded a little, you know, on a four track. <laughs> Like maybe if you like that stuff, maybe you like this. I mean, you know. Well, now I think that's excellent. That's one way to go. One of the things about being preacher's kid, South '90s, is you're raised to believe that the sole aim of secular culture is to is to corrupt your soul, and so. Right. Given that, I like the idea of there's a chart in um, – this is about to be a, bla- a blast from the past – Sam Goody or Camelot Records or Coconuts oh, yeah. or FYE. Yeah. But there's a chart, and if you like this Christian artist, and then it's something absolutely rank and terrible. So if you like DC Talk, check out Two Live Crew. And it really <laughs> is – the goal is to corrupt the youth. <laughs> Well, I Fantastic. think the much more likely one would be, and I'm thinking of kind of a high fidelity hipstery judge. If you like DC Talk, get out. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, here's the thing. We make fun, but I'm looking at the reviews, and this album was given five, four and five stars. It was voted one of the best uh, 100 greatest albums in Christian music. Uh, it did win the Grammy for Best Rock Gospel Album. And wow. so that means there's a Grammy-winning s- album that features the line, Your SEX is a test when I'm pressed, so back off with less of that zest. Oh. Won a Grammy for rock. Oh. So did my humps, Matt. Now, let's not make <laughs> that the bar, okay? Yeah. that In a real thing, this is an aside, I do remember... Getting in a car, I was still in Tennessee, when my humps was like on the radio, back when you turned on your car and the radio came on, and I kept waiting for them to break in and talk about how it was like a Weird Al-style joke. And no, that was just that song. (laughs) But there's one more thing I'd like to share about this song. and I, I, I go to the YouTube page of the original I Don't Want It, not I Don't Want It 2013 remix which is on the official DC Talk YouTube page. But then I scroll to the comments, which are often where you find the worst things on the internet. Sure. But here I discovered something wonderful. The top comment on the YouTube video said eight years ago by this, this young lady says, I was reading about bad dates on a Christian website, and I came across this. The guy turned on his CD player and played DC's talks, I Don't Want It. When the song ended... 
Matt editorial note, keep in mind, this song is over five minutes long. When the song ended, he turned and said, I love this song and proceeded to play it again. For real? I was too nice to say anything. I later found out this was apparently standard procedure when he took out a girl. Oh, wow. Christian youths in the early 90s whose move on a date was play DC Talks I Don't Want It twice to see if she's Christian enough. I I promise you I know that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, I mean, look, you know, let's all say this on the show. We are all very much in favor of abstinence. It's a lovely thing. We want you to, if you're... If you're thinking yes. about maybe being massively promiscuous, and if you're thinking about of, it, don't. Yeah, just, <laughs> that's our you know, advice. That's you know, so that's so that's that. But don't try to like play a song Come on, on a date that says, "I I don't want to have sex with you." That's like it's not. Uh, you know, that's not romantic. <laughs> well, I think that brings us to, as we're mentioning here, really the crux of, of what makes a, a Christian thing lame. Because not all Christian uh, media is lame. And so some of it's perfectly lovely. Some of it's, you know, very, very good and very affecting. But the idea of we're going to take this crazy Christian thing and try to make it cool, daddy-o. <laughs> Somebody yeah. sat down and said, pop rap song. About how abstinence is awesome. <laughs> and went all the way through to put that on a mass market recording. Don't you wonder if some of the people on the like in, in charge of the Grammys just looked at that and said, Do we really have to give this one? <laughs> Cause we got yeah. we got we got guys in their twenties saying they don't want to have sex. Is this a is this a real thing? Are we gonna Can give anyone them a statue identify for that? with this? Yeah, yeah. That that brings up a very interesting subpoint of in the history of the Grammy, the Christian uh songs being of uh being can being able to win Grammys, has any Grammy voter ever actually listened to any of them? No. Nah. <laughs> or is it just no, then kind of pick the that's one just at on the top? sales? Yeah, yeah DC Talk was yeah, the right. first one alphabetically. And it was sales. It was just parents buying that for their kids, praying to God their kids would not have sex with their with their boyfriends. Well, see, that's what happens is you, you listen to the really, really hip happening rap beats on this Christian rap album. And you're like, you know what? I my sex drive has just been reduced to near zero, <laughs> and so that's uh, I'm that's I that's my new life now. You're saying uh, Christian pop rap in the early '90s was some kind of psyop to make young people forget that they could feel joy? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I think that I think you nailed it. Well, I think we cracked that one, and on that basis, we will declare emergency off. So, uh, yeah, I, here, here's the thing about this show. We, we want to entertain. We want to enlighten. We want to we reach out and enrich your lives and show love and care. But sometimes there are some weeks where I found out about an awful thing, and now all of you have to know about it, too. That's the thing, <laughs> is, that, is that Matt came to know the Lord, you know, at, at, 
you know, like right before he was 20 or something like that. And so he missed like decades of horribleness that he's just now finding out about. Dear listeners, <laughs> we love you. We're so glad you're here. Also, you heard it. You can't unhear it. <laughs> that is exactly right. As a balm for that and to what, what Lee's saying there, I did I did a, a not come to meet the Lord until I was in late high school, junior high school. And I was in, again, early 2000s, East Tennessee, the middle of the Bible Belt. So I want you to picture your boy, Matt King, roughly the same as I am now, <laughs> being rooked by his new Christian friends into going to an FFH concert. Wow. Seven wow. white people in matching outfits, singing about some nonsense, and me in the middle of the crowd, very, very confused. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a little bonus image. Now, where we, we, we really don't do the Christian rapping on uh, the bridge live cast. And if we did it certainly wouldn't be about abstinence. I think we can safely promise that we stick to our normal bridge worship stuff. We have some sermons, some great guest speakers. Overall, it's just a lot of love and encouragement and fun. And we hope you will join us every Tuesday at 7 30 PM Chicago time at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. And if you can't catch it live, wherever, wherever you are in the world, you can always catch the archived version of all our bridge live casts on our Facebook page. You can also, of course, always head over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox, sign up, get some good stuff into your inbox on the first of every month for only $8, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end of the show, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us and ask your own question, or you can scroll down into your episode description, and there are links below. First question comes in anonymously, and it says, <clears throat> I hear people in person, in the news, or on social media put people down a lot. I know they aren't really talking about me personally, but they put down things that are important to me. When I talk to people about it, they tell me it isn't a big deal and not to take it personally. How do I learn to not take things this personally? And uh, really a great question. And again, we've, we, I think we've had a, a spate of questions in this time where uh, there's you know a lot of stuff that's still locked down and Everybody just seems to be uh, spend a lot more time on social media running into this stuff. So a, a very good question. And Jed, where would we start off? It is a great question. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry for the tough parts of it, for sure. The thing I want to urge you towards may not be exactly the answer that you're looking for, but I, I think it's the answer that will actually work. And I want to encourage you to simply have better things to think about than the opinions of random people on the Internet. Right. Um, yeah. I want to encourage you to figure out where you want your life to go and start walking in that direction and stay focused on that. It doesn't matter what any of these people think. And the more that we lean into that and just live the life that we want to live, the better we are likely to start feeling. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I think we all want to get to a point in our lives where we feel like what we do would be universally praised. And there's no such thing as that. Right. Uh, that that just doesn't exist. But joy is a powerful thing. And so, like, for me, um, you know, I was mentioning kind of, you know, music in my upbringing and whatnot. I had a youth leader when I was about eight years old that introduced me to thrash metal. And I couldn't begin to tell you why, but as an eight-year-old, I heard my first thrash metal recording and said, yes, <laughs> that is 
it. And I have, I have loved extreme metal ever since. And I'm really blessed today that actually I get to be a part of making a lot of it. Um, Woo. And here's the thing about it is it's incredibly silly. It's grown men making cookie monster sounds. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly silly, but I like it and it mm. brings me joy and God uses it to help hurting people. So Amen. I don't care what you think about it. But critically, I'm able to maintain that attitude when I'm doing my thing and I'm in motion. If I spent a lot of time on the internet going to places and saying, hey, uh, do you guys think what I do is cool? Sooner or later, I would have people telling me, no, we think it's super lame because it's grown men making cookie monster sounds. <laughs> and I would start to feel discouraged and sad off of that. So to be clear, don't hear me blaming the victim on that. People being crappy is on them. It's not on you. But you do 100% have a choice about where you spend your time and where you spend your focus. And the thing that I want to encourage you towards, again, is give yourself better things to think about. Find the things that bring you joy, whether other people get them or not. Find your version of grown men making cookie monster sounds that you just like and that you want to be a part of. And again, and this is the key part, put the pedal to the metal in going in that direction. Right on. Go after that. Make that your thing unashamedly to the point that you don't really have enough time to be hanging out at crappy places on Facebook anyway. It wouldn't be a good idea regardless, but you just don't have the time because you're busy doing things that you love and that you care about. Absolutely right. I think that's that's a great place to start this off. And Lee, I think uh, Jed did a wonderful job covering the the social media aspect of this, which again is a really really big part of kind of how we're all dealing with our lives currently. But our our friend does also mention in person on the news, so there are people kind of expressing opinions about stuff that we might hold dear or ideas. And how do we deal with stuff that's maybe a little less ephemera online, a little more concrete? Yeah, um, man. I- I love every single th- word that Jed said right there. I mean, I, I would I would honestly just rewind it and listen to it again. And, and what I'm going to say is is just kind of a shade or a tint of that same that same wisdom there. Um, but but you know, when you're person to person relationships and and all that kind of stuff, there is this very kind of difficult ninja art that doesn't come easy for most personality types. I would say like, uh, you know, when I think about different friends that I have in my life, there's like a guy like Glenn, this kind of thing comes very easy to him. And the longer I hang out with him, the better I get at it. The more I hear him Mm. talk, the more attractive this sounds to me and I understand it more, but it doesn't come naturally for my personality type. And so it's taken a lot of reps and a lot of years and a lot of understanding to get to this, but it goes like this. I don't give very many people a VIP pass into the back room of my emotions. Um, when, when, when I'm around people like Glenn, um, and other people in my life who have, who have this thing down, this thing comes easy to them. It it seems like obvious in their personality. They understand a very critical thing about the world, which is not everybody has a point. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a very, that's a hard thing to understand for, for a person that has my personality. The the personality that I was born with is the kind of personality that wants to come into every room and make everybody get along. 
Like let right. let's let's all hang out together, and I think you probably have a point, and you have probably have a point, and I'd love to sit down and spend hours figuring out the diplomatic solution to where we're all best friends. <laughs> That's just kind of what comes naturally to me. Not everybody is like me, but again, not everybody is 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 like Glenn. But it's very easy for certain people to say to look through the facade of a lot of just frankly BS, which Matt has dubbed on this podcast, which means. Uh, that would biblically. be biblically specious. Thank you, sir. Um, not everybody has a point. Let me give you a biblical uh, reasoning for that to to back up uh, Matt's definition. This comes from the the uh, book of First John in chapter four. One very simple vo- verse. Uh, the apostle John says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit." But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. Here's the thing. There are people in your life who will pretend that they are experts on everything. They know everything. They know what's cool in every situation. They know what's right in every situation. They know everything about everything. The the truth is, is that to be an expert in something, it takes a lot of years and a lot of work and a lot of humility. Um, so when you find somebody that thinks they know everything, they probably don't know really anything. The, the people that I know that 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 are actual experts are experts on very, very, very few things. So what that means for us is that I don't want to give everybody in my life credentials to speak into my emotional self. I want to have a small circle of people who I let into kind of the the inner sanctum, who get to speak into uh, a place where they actually get to change my viewpoint or change my change the way I feel about something, and that that's a critical thing. And for certain personality types, and and the way that the way that I naturally am, that's definitely definitely true of me. Is this is a difficult thing that takes reps? What I have to, I've basically had to learn it by getting my hands burned a lot of times in certain relationships. Of I've been that person who Jeb was describing in the in in the first in his answer to this question, where it's like somebody thinks I suck and that really really hurts. And then I get to the point where that happens so many times where I'm realizing like I can't let everybody wield that power in my life. I can't let everybody tell me that I suck. And I get brokenhearted over that. I'm going to have to get to the place where I, re- where I decide I'm going to have to have a few core people that I give credentials or VIP passes into my emotional place. And then, and then everybody else, I'm going to do exactly what Jed says, which is, I don't care what you think. Now, for some of us, and certain personality types, that may mean that you actually reduce some of your footprint on some social media platforms so that you're not caught into the same whirlpool of everybody's opinions and stuff like that. There may be some real practical strategies that you have to employ to reduce the amount of opinions that you're taking in. But what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to get to the place where we get better at that ninja art of saying, I don't think everybody has an opinion. I think some people that I have let into the inner sanctum, who I have credentialed and given VIP passes to, I listen to them, I trust them, I make myself humble and vulnerable to those people, and then everybody else can kick rocks. When we get to that place, then we can start to do the kind of triage work where we 
actually know what to listen to, what to feel, and and we can shuffle a lot of that other stuff to the side. That's all very, very good stuff and ex- excellently put. And Glenn, where would we cap this discussion off? Well, I think I think it's important for us to look at, and, and these fellows have really covered it really well. I think if if we wanted to look at anything else on this, it's about looking at uh, this idea of putting people in categories, you know, because that's, I think, a bit of what you're describing here is, you know, if I say everyone with big feet is a total jerk and someone with big feet says, hey, what? well, I don't mean you, but I mean just in general, people with big feet. <laughs> well, the, the we can recognize the problem is that... Uh, there's there's something inherently problematic about uh thinking of people by category in that sort of way and this becomes a problem because i think uh it, it's really important for you to recognize as you're hearing this that today's culture is obsessed with putting people in boxes mm. this person is is this kind of person and they go in this box. And this person is this other kind of person. They go in that box. It, and I'm not, it, maybe it's a good box. Maybe it's a bad box. And maybe it's a shaming thing. Maybe whatever it is. But everybody's got to get in this box. And then here's the next thing that happens once you put them in the box. They are dismissed. There's no hope for them. There's no chance that that could change them and everybody else in that box. They're a lost cause. What we need to do is rally the support of the people in our box because the people in the other box don't like our box and they're going to come and get us and they can't be redeemed and they can't be changed and helped and whatever. In the moment you have that mentality, you have left Jesus behind. Mm. The idea that someone is impossible to reach or change is, is insulting for me to hear. I don't I, I am I am offended by that notion. My entire life for sure my entire career has been devoted to the idea of no one is beyond God's reach. No one is so far gone Amen. that there isn't uh, you know hope for them. And and believe me I've, I I have I've seen God work right in front of me often enough to know that the, the people that you might be writing off absolutely can be redeemed. The people who are writing you off are wrong about you if they're doing it towards you. But of course, if you see what I'm saying, it's this putting people in a box and it's, it, you know, if you turn on the, the, you know, the, the news programs and stuff, what you have is a, a bunch of talking heads. And here's a guy who's commenting about trends in institutions speaking in generalities. Well, you know, that's the beauty of it is it's so vague and nonspecific that you can't quite nail them down on anything. And, uh, you know, they, they, they don't have to live with, uh, the, you know, if something falls outside of what they say, well, that's just an exception to the rule. And that's just that one time and it's fake news or it's a weird poll or it's whatever. You know, you can always kind of sidestep those things. 
But to, when we watch that on TV and then we imitate that in life, you're standing at the water cooler at work and you're saying, uh, you know, it's all of these kind of people that do this and the people in that country and the people that wear these kind of shoes and this kind of, you know, they're all the same man and they all do this and they all do that. Inherently, there's something wrong about that, something evil about it, both because it paints with too broad a brush because it is prejudicial thinking. But most especially, it's about dismissing people in that way. That you're 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 saying these people are beyond redemption, beyond hope, beyond anything, and that's not a Christian worldview. It doesn't come close to a Christian Amen. worldview. When I look at when I turn on the TV news, here's what I see: is people who are yes, they're polarized, and there's not necessarily something wrong with that. But it's that they aren't doing anything to convince the other side of anything. And our job as Christians is to reach out to people who are lost and hurting that aren't in the church and giving them a hope and giving them a peace and giving them a connection to God and in some cases changing their life uh, so that they can access those kinds of things. And if we if we get into this mentality of putting people down and putting people into categories, we won't be able to accomplish that work. And and that's all important. That's absolutely right. That was all fantastic stuff from these guys. We move on to our second question here, which comes in anonymously and says, so hard to make the big decisions I need to make for my future. How can I know if I'm on the right path? How can I listen to the Lord when my emotions are all over the place? I want to get things right but I also don't want to be miserable doing it. And again, a lot, a lot of great stuff going on in this question. And Lee, where do we start off? This is a great question, and it's it's really well worded. You you hit a lot of a, a lot of things in the way that you ask the question, and I really, really appreciate that. When we talk about, if you've listened to podcasts before, you may have heard some of these terms before. So I'm going to be um, kind of cursory. And, and talking about some of these, and maybe these other brothers will pick them up. But when we talk about, especially kind of knowing what we're supposed to do with our future and that kind of stuff, we talk about kind of three big areas. One is just prayer, listening to the voice of the Lord as the as the Spirit speaks to your heart. Uh, another is Scripture. What is what can we what can we glean from actually you know from God's Word from the Bible about about this situation or about your direction? And the third is wise counsel, and that would be like a, a pastor, a counselor, another believer who is a friend who can who can lead you in a in a wise way. And, and what I want to do is I want to talk for a second about that wise counsel piece, and and maybe these other brothers will pick up some other stuff about uh, about kind of listening to the Lord's voice in prayer and Scripture. Uh, but I want to look at that wise counsel piece, and the a couple things that I would say about that is um, I would say. Number one, you want to find somebody that you trust. Like you look at their life, you look at their work, you look at their marriage, you look at their relationships, and you say, this is a person that I can trust who is, they, they are for real. They, they, they have a life that uh, they don't just talk a big game, but they, they are the person that, that they live the life that they talk about. Um, but two, a person who knows and understands you. Who who knows you well enough to know kind of when you're dodging, when you're deflecting, when what your story is, what kind of uh, some of the you know 
biographical elements that might lead to some of the the issues that we want to look at and you kind of uh, figuring out your path or what comes next for you. And then what you want to do is you want to take to this person, into conversations with this person that you're meeting with, you want to take the questions that you might be myopic about, the questions that you might not see very well, that you might have some blind spots in. The, the fact is that every single one of us has blind spots about ourselves. We think that we're this way, and there's all these areas about ourselves that we miss. And that's why it's so beautiful to have pastors or counselors or other folks in our lives who can help, our, help us see ourselves well. Um, and then the goal, and this is the difficult piece in this, when you are seeking wise counsel is, if I've found someone that I can trust, if I've found someone who knows me, and I'm going to them for wise counsel, can I go to them without being defensive? That's the whole mm. ballgame. That's the ballgame right there. If yeah. I trust this person, and if they know me, can I go in there and not be defensive? Um, I've had so many situations where, um, and, and Glenn and I have talked about this, Matt and I have talked about this, Jed and I have talked about this with different people that, that they've had to meet with or I've had to meet with where I can tell them in two minutes what needs to happen. But if the walls are up, if defenses are up, we're not getting anywhere. Nothing is going to happen at all. If, if you will trust this person, if you trust this person with their life and their work and their wisdom and their ministry, and you trust that they know you, they know the scriptures, they know the Lord, they know you, then you've got to be able to ask certain questions, questions that you might be myopic about, that you might be blind to, like, um, I'm looking at this decision, I don't know whether to go here or to go there. Do you see in me some fears that I might not be aware of that might be pay- playing a part in my preferences? And then can you listen to their answer without being defensive? Um, asking questions like, am I missing something? Like, I think it's A, B, or C, but am I missing a great D or E over here that you see that I don't see at all? Yeah. If you can hold, if you can ask questions like that and hold those things with an open hand while somebody that you trust that's wise and that knows the Lord and that knows you, can that you will trust them to answer that and to pull options right out of your hand or to show you something about yourself that you're uncomfortable with seeing. If you can handle a conversation like that in an undefensive way, man, you are going to reap the benefits of wise counsel. That's an excellent, excellent place to start off. And Glenn, where would we pick that up and take it? Well, I like, uh, I agree with what Lee is saying. I think it is worth, uh, as, as he's suggesting, looking at this idea of listening to the Lord directly in prayer and combining that with the stuff he's talking about of wise counsel and scripture. And I love this line out of the question, how can I listen to the Lord when my emotions are all over the place? And that's a great way to put it, a very smart way of putting it. It is very hard to listen to the Lord when our emotions are going crazy. In fact, I would say that you can listen to your emotions or you can listen to God, but you kind of can't do both. Uh, that uh, our our emotions just cloud things and distract things so much that it's 
it's just very hard to get past that in order to listen to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean you need to become some emotionless robot, and it doesn't mean, you know, you have to sit on a mountain for a week and, you know, stare into the sun directly and get in touch with the oneness of the universe or something uh, before you can hear the voice of the Lord. But I think it is getting those emotions under control and getting them down, and particularly when we're talking about emotion as it pertains to decisions, that's looking at anger and frustration, that's looking at lust and sexual desire, that's looking at money worries, those kinds of things. When we're talking about emotion, we're not just talking about, you know, the the you know, garden variety worries, but sort of those those deep down existential desires that we get into that can drive decisions in crazy sorts of ways. Uh, I think it's important to look at, and and I don't think Christians uh, preach enough about this in church or talk enough about it, but there's a real fear that a, a lot of people have of doing the right thing. Mm. That I here's a thing I know to do, and I know it's right, but I don't want to do it. I, I get a lot of that in counseling sessions. You know, I, I know I should confront this person. I know it's the right thing to do. But they might leave me if I did that. So I don't want to. I just, you know, so give me another way out of this. You know, you say, well, no, it, that's the right thing to do. So do the right thing. Well, you know, things might go wrong. Well, yeah, but that's, that is how life works. You know, we, you, you can't do the wrong thing expecting to have a really good consequence come out of that. That's, this is not how, this is not going to work out. Uh, so I think we have that sense often of knowing the right thing and uh, hesitating to make that decision because we're afraid of the consequences of that. And I think the right way to look at that is sometimes there are, uh, you know, undesirable consequences. Uh, you know, maybe this relationship ends that you were hoping to hang on to forever, but maybe that was an unhealthy relationship that wasn't going to get any healthier. And it allows you to move on to a different relationship where you can you can have a healthier interaction or a different job or a different living situation, whatever the confrontation needs to be. And finally, I think uh, there's a tendency, and I get a ton of this in counseling situations, and I know these other fellows have had the same thing, where someone's mind is dead set on the wrong thing, <laughs> but they're just hoping if we keep turning this around and looking at it from different angles, Maybe this will turn out to be, you know, what secretly, maybe this is like, you know, it's so crazy, but it just might work. <laughs> and you, you, you're trying to tell this person, like, no, no. You know, I get a certain amount of this in counseling situations where a person will sit down and say, no, you're probably going to say this is crazy. <laughs> and then they give you an idea that is objectively and obviously crazy. He's a loose cannon, you know, but he gets results. Yeah, it's like you know, the, you didn't. It's it's. This isn't a case of so crazy just might work. It's just crazy. That's all. You know, this is this is a bad idea. But you know, if you find yourself trying to figure out how to make this thing maybe secretly a great idea. And you're doing a lot of work, and you're you're trying to win a lot of arguments with other people who are trying to talk you out of it. That's a really big sign that you need to be honest with yourself that this is not a great idea, 
And as Lee is saying, and I, I, I think I, I really want to end on kind of his point here of often we start looking at A versus B types of decisions, and sometimes it's option C or D that are really great that you might also like pretty good. Mm. So it's it's getting out of that, getting stuck from that bad idea that you're hanging on to and start looking at the the wider possibilities. That's all really, really cool stuff. And Jed, let me get you to pick up something, get you to pick up on something Glenn was saying there. And Glenn was mentioning the idea of you don't have to uh, go to a mountaintop and and sit in Himalayan silence to uh, hear the voice of the Lord. What does that process actually look like of getting yourself prepared to get to that place where you can listen? That's a great question. So there's a few practical things that I would suggest to you. The the number one is to find a place where you can be undistracted. I think for most of us, that's probably a place where we're by ourselves, but you, you would know better than I would. But But a place that's free of distractions and where you're unhurried. I want to encourage you to, you know, set aside at least 15, 20 minutes. You know, I think more than that is good, but but at least 15, 20 minutes. And the idea being for the next 20 minutes, there's no one who's going to interrupt me. There's no one who, who can bother me um, as much as possible. This This time is just me and the Lord. And then the next step is to try and get your emotions out of the way. And the reason for this is the Bible says that God speaks in a still, small voice, uh, that, that we, we tend to want God to speak through hurricanes and earthquakes and fires and whatnot, but that, in fact, God speaks in a still, small voice. And I, I firmly believe that, that God speaks in a still, small voice inside of you. Mm. What's at issue is that your emotions do not speak in still, small voices. They scream um, really super loud. So we kind of need to get our emotions out of the way. And in order to do that, we need to express them. Uh, we need to say how we actually feel. So if you think about the, the intentionally reductive example of, should I take the job in Cleveland or should I go to grad school Mm. in New Mexico? You know, it's, it's A or B, but, but, you know, Lord, I I want you to, to guide me in this decision. Well, you're undoubtedly going to have emotions about that. There, it would not be a realistic expectation to say, I, as a human being, have no opinion about what happens here. So just whatever God wants. I mean, it's nice in theory, but you, you do have emotions about decisions and particularly big decisions. So the next step, once you've got kind of a quiet space and some time, <clears throat> is to express to God in prayer. I would suggest a few things. The first is, what do you want to see happen here? Mm-hmm. Like if it was completely up to you and you could just have whatever you want, what would yeah. happen here? The next thing is, what are you afraid of happening here? Like, what's the, the outcome that would really feel like this is the worst outcome and the really bad one and the one I'm really concerned about? And the third thing I would suggest is, the question is, what would bring you relief? Like, what's mm. something that could happen and it would feel like it's just a million pounds off of your shoulders if that would just happen as it pertains to the situation? And critically, with all, th- with all three of those, why? Why would this be the thing you most want to have happen? Why would this be the thing you are most afraid of? Why would this outcome bring you a sense of relief? We want to do all of this, uh, two notes, with as little self-judgment as possible. Amen. You're a sinner. 
Mm. You're going to say things that are wrong. You're going to say things that are bad. God gets that. We, but we need to express the stuff so we can get it out of the way. So no self-judgment. And the second thing is we want to do this in a way that just kind of lets you flow. So for some people, that's journaling. They're going to sit with a pen and paper, and they're going to write all of this out. For some people, um, the car can be a great place because you can literally just talk out loud, and there's no one to shoot you a weird look because you appear to be talking to yourself. Um, For other people, just in the stillness of their own thoughts, they can express this to the Lord. One of those is not better than the other. As it turns out, they're, they're all fine as long as they give you the opportunity to, without self-judgment, tell God how you feel about this stuff. And when we've done all of that, and that, that hopefully should be followable for you, the thing that we land on is something that's going to sound both really simple and, in a sense, really mystical. So here it is. When you've done all of that, the thing I want to encourage you to do is to ask God— one of two questions, either is fine, but one possibility is, God, what do you want me to do here? The other possibility is, God, what am I not seeing here? Mm. Either are fine. And then simply be still for a while. Simply sit in the silence for a while and see what comes to mind. That's all you need to do. I know that sounds weird, but that's, that's how you start this. Now, here's, here's the critical thing is I think you're going to have things that come to mind, and I think that they're going to have, weirdly, a sense of insight to them. And your next thought is going to be, yeah, but how do I know that's not just my thoughts and just me? Well, you don't. So here's what we do. The next day or a couple of days later, do the whole exercise again. Do that mm. whole thing again. See what comes to mind in the stillness that time. I think what you're likely to find is that it's a continuation of what came to mind the first time with a greater sense of insight and a greater sense of guidance. Eventually, this is a skill, by the way, which means the more you do it, the better you get at it. Eventually, I think you will begin to discern where your thoughts leave off and and God's guidance picks up. But we don't need to worry about that immediately. The thing we're looking for is guidance, and it's okay for there to be a little bit of your thoughts and a little bit of God's thoughts, and it all gets jumbled together. But I think this is an exercise that'll point you in the right direction, and when you're adding it in with both the witness of Scripture and the guidance of wise counsel, when they all point in the same direction, I think you can have a lot of confidence about making a decision on that basis. Amen. That is an excellent practical thing and really put some some really, really good bones on the, the great stuff that both Glenn and Lee gave you on that. We are going to go ahead and move to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and says, John 5, 39 to 40, Jesus says, You pour over the scriptures because you presumed that by them you possess eternal life. These are the very words that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. How does that, how does someone study the scriptures and miss Jesus? How do I make sure I don't do that? And another very, very cool question. And Glenn, where would we start with it? Well, I, it, it is a great question because, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of people that pour over scripture and they <laughs> totally miss Jesus. So it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a real concern. The the beautiful thing about this is if you're concerned about missing Jesus, then you won't. Mm. Uh, if, if you're looking for him, you're going to find him. Uh, it, it There does appear to be a, a caution that is being issued to us that if you think you are strong in your relationship with God because of your book knowledge, then you are most likely missing out on the actual relationship with God 
but uh, uh, if I issued that warning, uh, no Christian would be particularly concerned about it, so I won't issue that warning, which appears to be in Scripture, uh, because you're all trying to study your way into this like it's an exam that you're looking to pass, so uh, get, carry on, if that's what it's got to be. Uh, but let's look at this from the standpoint of, uh, I, I think there were several questions that both Lee and, and Jed were answering in this episode and last episode about sort of macro themes in the Bible, big sweeping things that, uh, that if you read the Bible from cover to cover, there are certain big picture ideas that keep coming up. In I think if we if you read scripture in that way of I'm I'm trying to get a sense of who God is by reading this. I'm trying to mm. get a sense of 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 the heart that's here. Each each of these scriptures I'm reading is a piece to a puzzle and I'm seeing how it all fits together. That's going to give you one kind of understanding about the Bible. But if you compare that to a theological understanding of scripture the theological understanding of Scripture will be much less rich. Yeah. It will be much less useful to you in your relationship with God. You can memorize the Apostles' Creed. There's nothing wrong with the Apostles' Creed, but it's a list of beliefs. And having all the right beliefs, or at least acknowledging that they are right, or saying that you subscribe to them is great, nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't mean that you've understood the heart of God that is behind all of those things. So a theological understanding ends up being the most shallow, least in-depth thing we can cling to in terms of establishing our, our walk with God. It has to be built on the actual relationship in order to be strong and to be rich and to be full. But that involves me being vulnerable and humble and spending mm. time in prayer and listening to God. But I could just read a book and do the other thing like right away, and Christians will think I'm awesome. So, you know, maybe I'll do that. Um, and I want to go one step further from that. If you, if you again, sort of the big themes and the principles that we pick up in, in the heart of God, that's one thing. The theological understanding is is sort of one layer shallower and less involved. I want to go even further from that, and that is the cultural understanding of Christianity. That is to say, Christian culture values certain things, certain ways of looking at things, certain standards, and that may or may not have anything to do with Scripture, but I'm I'm deciding that that is what Scripture is trying to say. Scripture is, is upholding this cultural value, this political value, this community value, whatever kind of value that I've got, and I'm I'm melding that cultural thing with Scripture, and I'm not even really looking at Scripture as to whether that's backing it up or not. And that's what Jesus was encountering, was yeah. just a, a, a cultural institution that had swollen up around a, a religious community that had no real direct ties with God. They were just in the culture. And they said, well, I'm participating in the culture. That's the ultimate in God connection. And Jesus, of course, is blasting that idea. 
Uh, you're not following a book. You're following a risen Savior. Mm. Jesus didn't say, here, I'm going to write some stuff down for you to study. He, that, did, that was not the way he did things, and he didn't do it for a reason. I think it's worth meditating on. He said, follow me. And if you're going to be a Christian, that's how it works. So if you're setting out to follow Jesus, uh, you're not going to be lost in the Scriptures and, uh, and, and end up missing him. A, an excellent, excellent uh, opening up to this there. Glenn gives a lot of excellent stuff. And Lee, I'd love you to pick us up there, because I think one of the things he's pointing to that's very, very sharp is there are different ways people approach the Bible, and the way you approach it's going to affect what you find there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I hate to be—I I don't say this to be cynical. I, I'm saying this to be a realist. There are I love the way that Glenn said, look, if you're looking to not miss Jesus, you're going to find Jesus. You're you're not going to miss him. I'm so grateful that he said this. And I'm so, I'm also so thankful that Jesus said this in John chapter five, because uh, that he went ahead and pointed this out for us, that there are people who pour over the scriptures and completely miss the heartbeat of it. I'm so glad that he pointed this out because um, there are people who straight who are just straight up hucksters with the scripture, and and I don't say that as a way to be like I said I, I'm not trying to be cynical about it. Uh, we just need to to acknowledge the fact that there are people who will absolutely use the Bible to manipulate people. There are people who because they know that that you and I treasure the scriptures as our authority, um, they will, they'll go on a treasure hunt for basically kind of holy water to sprinkle over their point of view of the world, over their worldview, so that they can say, this is the right thing, this is the right way to see the world. This is, they go to the Bible to kind of support the thing that they're into. They find verses that bolster their way of seeing the world and things that make them feel better. And so what we're supposed to do, and, and I think what's completely obvious to me by the way that you even ask your question is, we're supposed to go to the Scriptures as a student, um, exactly as Glenn's saying, you just read it. When you read it and you get the macro view, just the, the wide-angle lens of what the Bible is talking about, then you find that this is about service and self-sacrifice. It's about mercy. It's about love. It's about caring and accepting. It's about reaching down, stooping. It's about that God has started by stooping down to, to our level to, to, to pull us up to take care of us. I the the premise that I start with is I actually don't know what's right. This book tells me where to align my my heartbeat, where to align my allegiance, where to align my compassion. When somebody comes at it from the other angle, when they say I know what's right and I'm going to find something to back up this point of view that I have, that's where manipulation steps in. When you ask the question, how does somebody pour over the scriptures and miss Jesus? That's how they do it. They come at it with saying, I already know what's right, and I'm going to use this text to back up this point of view that I have. There was a very key word that Glenn mentioned when he was answering the question, and that's the word humility. When you approach Scripture with humility, 
you do the opposite of that. You're saying, I actually don't know. I'm coming to this as a student. I'm coming empty, and I'm looking to learn. I'm looking to be challenged. I'm looking to be encouraged. I'm looking to be built up. I'm looking to be filled. When you come at the Scriptures with humility, then you find Jesus. When you come at the Scriptures by saying, I already know what's right, and I'm just looking for some some, some pithy Christian words to back up my point of view that's already solidified, that's where manipulation comes in, and that's where we miss Jesus. And, and mark this, there's a place in the book of Galatians where the Lord says, through the Apostle Paul, God will not be mocked. He will not be used in that way. In the end, he will not be manipulated. He will not be handled. And so it's the people who who come at the Scriptures, exactly as Glenn's talking about, with humility, who come at the Scriptures as students, those are the people that find Jesus, and that's where the real power of the Scripture comes from. Another really, really great answer. That is excellent stuff. And Jed, love you to pick up really exactly where Lee's leaving off there. So let's help our friend out here a little bit. What should they go to the Bible looking to find if they're worried about missing uh, the good stuff? That's a great question, man. And so let's actually reference a story from the Bible. It's a pretty famous one that you have probably heard before. It's it's often referred to as the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Or if you went to church a million years ago, the Pharisee and the publican. Um, but real quick, what? Real quick, so here's here's the story, which again, you probably know, and you can read it for yourself. It's in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. So here's how it goes, is two dudes uh, go to church, and the one dude uh, thinks he's pretty amazing. And so he goes, and he prays, and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like all these sinners. For example, that one who's sitting right over there. I do all this good <laughs> stuff, and I'm amazing, and I, you know, just, you know, thanks God for how great I am. That's dude one. And then dude two, it says he would not even look up to heaven, but said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus concludes the story by saying, I tell you that the sinner went home justified before God. So you have two people who, in this case, they're going to church, but I think it actually applies to going to the scriptures in a sense. They're going to seek an audience with God. But they want very different things out of God. One person wants to celebrate how amazing they are because of all the righteous, impressive things they do. Not that they're amazing because God made them and therefore they're super cool in that sense, but just, I do all the righteous stuff, so I think we should all just take a minute and be impressed by me. And the other person is looking for help. They're looking for mercy. They're, they're looking for a savior is what they're looking for. And the interesting thing about that story is I don't know if we even have to view that God rejected the, the churchy person. Uh, that would be one way to read it. But perhaps another way to read it is I'm not really in the business of congratulating you for being okay on your own apart from me. We just don't do that here. Right. I'm in the business of helping sinners who need help. Amen. So when sinners who need help show up and ask for help, I help them. I am the Lord. That's what I do. And 
I think that applies to us when we approach the Bible. If you are looking for a savior, you will find one. If you are looking for help, you will find it. If you are looking for assistance, you will find it. I am confident that God will meet you in that moment. But if you go to the Bible looking to be affirmed in what a very good religious person you are, I don't know that you're likely to find a lot of help or mercy because people don't often find things they aren't looking for. People tend to have a thing they're looking for, and that's the thing that they're looking for. And so I think what we're looking to get out of the Bible really, really matters. God wants to give you help. God wants to give you relief. God wants to give you salvation. He wants to give you the things that you need. That's who he is. That's what he does. And so if you come to the Bible looking for those things or to his house looking for those things or just to him in prayer looking for those things, you will find them. You know, Jesus said, everyone who seeks finds, he who asks receives, to him who knocks the door will be open. If you're looking for the stuff that God is in the business of doling out, I guarantee you, you will find it. He is not playing hard to get. He is not hiding from you. If you're looking to be found, he is looking to find you. That is exactly very true and beautifully put. We're going to leave it there. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com. TheBridgeChicago.tumblr.com, if you want to keep that anonymous. We have uh, exposed you all to some truly, truly awful Christian music on this episode. I feel we owe it to you to take you out with some good Christian music. Based on the parable Jed was just mentioning, this is a song from our sister in the Bridge Loud featuring our good friend, Mr. Lynn's Honeyman, called No, He Wasn't. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. My name is Glenn, and I'm here to say I'm here to be Christian in every way. <laughs> a hip hop, a hibbity bee. <laughs> Grammy, please. <laughs> Two men go to the chapel. Two men go to the church. The first steps up to the microphone to give the speech that he's rehearsed. He clears his throat and begins to brag about how clean he keeps his nose. Well-behaved and generous And comes his crescendo
Wasn't. 